Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference, where Biogen's Adama Ibrahim moderated a conversation about identifying the measurements of success and goals for virtual trials. The panelists included Science 37's Christopher Seppi, Health Mode's Dr. Jamila Jemison, BMS's Hassan Kadam, and Casey Orvin of the Society for Clinical Research Sites, as well as Threads Research, John Reitz. For details on the upcoming 2020 conference, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Adama Ibrahim. I, as you can see from Biogen, Associate Director working on a couple of things in clinical operations, including an R&D transformation initiative that looks to bring technology into clinical trials. I'm really excited to speak to you guys, and I'm very aware that we're almost at lunch. <laughs> so we need to pick up the energy a little bit. Um, Today, I think we've heard a lot of people's experiences. So this panel is going to change things a little bit. You're going to hear from industry folks. You're going to hear from the site's point of view. And essentially, it's going to be a little bit of below the iceberg stuff, Okay, So we're going to hear stuff that potentially is different and new. So I'd like to invite to join me, John, Casey, Hassan, and Chris, and Jamelia somewhere. There we go. Lovely. So we're all. Friends, we're all familiar with each other. Just grab a seat somewhere and get comfortable. And I'll fit over there. Okay. So before we start, it's really important we kind of get to know each other a tiny little bit. So if we could quickly just say one interesting fact about what we're working on. I know we've got our kind of companies and roles up there. So maybe a little bit of facts just to introduce each and one of you, and then we will go straight into the discussion. And as I said, it's important to try and get some really useful, new, and interesting facts from our discussion about um, the topic area, which is really what are we striving for and how do we measure it? Because we've all got different ways of looking at things, but essentially we want to end up somewhere that's meaningful. So if we start on the other end. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, I think the most interesting thing that we're doing right now is um, developing uh, digitized endpoints in respiratory and uh, GI and pain. And so, um, you know, each day is exciting as we look at the, the, the different potential places to put that forward. Hey, I'm uh, John Reitz. I'm Chief Product Officer at Thread. And I think one of the things that it's really interesting to us is uh, we now have you know um, hybrid decentralized studies in 13 indications uh, now moving globally. So learning about not just how to do this in the U.S. and Canada, but really starting to move the needle globally when you think about e-consent, e-pro, data capture, telehealth, all together in one space. So that's really where I think uh, we're learning an increasing amount of lessons, more so than what we learned the last the sort of first five years. I'm Christopher Cheppi. I'm the Chief Product Officer at Science 37. And I think the interesting point is to think about the impact that virtual uh, trialing has had on uh, access to studies for patients. So what we're seeing in studies is that we really have expanded access to socioeconomic groups who haven't traditionally participated in studies, to demographies that haven't traditionally participated in studies, and to geographies that haven't uh, traditionally participated in studies. And so this broadening of access is really happening, and it's, it's, it's great to be a part of that. 
Hi, everyone. It's me again. Uh, um, so I lead a team called Clinical Trial Business Capabilities at uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb. Uh, the topic of virtual remote trials is a very close, uh, near and dear to me. Uh, it was a topic of my graduate research uh, in, in the University of Montreal. And I spent the past five, six years evangelizing at my previous company and now at Bristol-Myers Squibb trying to push the needle to get it towards more and more adoption. And as the previous speaker said, it's not easy. Uh, implementing a digital or remote trial seems at the surface to be something that is easy and obvious, but there's a lot of hurdles to go through and, and barriers to break. I'm really happy where we are today. Obviously, we're not at the end point, but we are three years ago where you mentioned remote digital decentralized trials. A lot of people didn't know what it was. Today, it's pretty much common knowledge that this exists. There's a better way to do trials, or hopefully a better way to do trials but I don't think a lot of the companies have figured out what is the best way to do it today. So hopefully we'll answer some of these questions in this panel. Great, good afternoon everyone. I'm Casey Orvin with the Society for Clinical Research Sites. So represent about 10,000 sites uh, throughout the world, more outside the US than inside. So as we talk about decentralized trials, it's, it's important that we keep that site voice heard. And that's really why the society was formed, is to, uh, for site sustainability, and to make sure that with all these changes that we're doing, um, just to make sure that, that the site voice is heard, and that um, we, have, we have opinions, and, and, and we want to, some, some will take the lead, and then others, we kind of have to sit back and, and wait um, to be approached. So it'll be exciting to talk about some of the things that, that we're doing. So thank you very much. It sounds like we've got the cast for a great movie, right? You know, we all have a role to play. And I think the most important thing is, what does that end goal look like? So if we start from the very end of the, the activities, you know, where we've done everything possible and we've achieved it, how do, we, how do we get there? How do we get out of Pilotville, basically, and get to that end goal where we're now into kind of high efficiency and we're really achieving all the objectives? So if we start at the end, it'll be great to hear your views. Sure. Um, so I think you actually said it in your introduction, and I think one of the, the most important parts of trying to get out of Pilotville is actually beginning with the end in mind. And the thing you have to understand there is that the end is not a good pilot. The end is the right tool or the right package of tools or the right suite of digital objects and, and data collection for your pivotal right? So that means you actually have to think backwards. You have to think, what does my, my best, like, my best phase three look like? My best validation trial, to throw that word around again. Um, and then you work backwards to what's the most important element that you need to pilot, right? What's the thing that's actually going to make that that measurement work, and then you test that first, and then you start to see, okay, this might be feasible, and then you move from there. But you always have to be looking at where you want to go, not at the end of your pilot, but at the end of this hopefully successful study. I think for a thread, it's, it's sort of twofold. One is we're trying to modernize clinical studies. We've all, I think we've, we've beat that today, right? That we know that studies need to be modernized. Uh, our patients expect a better experience. They want things to be in simpler, faster, cheaper for them. Um, and so what we're trying to do is, is frankly just move the needle this way. Um, and our industry 
has been moving the needle this way for a long time. I mean, the first virtual studies I published on were in 2011, and we're talking about them today like they're brand new, and they're not, right? We've all been experimenting and trying things. And so I look at the modernized clinical experience as, as really this fit-for-purpose approach, right? It's a tool in the toolbox. It's not the study. And I think that's really what we're looking at. I think the second thing is, it's kind of when you have that thinking and you're thinking about getting out of sort of Pilotville or moving, uh, we have some customers we have today that you know, are still doing ones, twos, and three studies. We've got a, a group of them that are moving to adoption models, and that means that they're doing between eight and 30 studies over the next three years. So what they're doing is they're taking this virtual study approach. They're coming into a protocol and saying, based on my primary, secondary, and exploratory outcomes, this is the way that I could actually make this study decentralized or make it easier for a site and participant to participate. And, and so I think for us, it's, it's actually about taking this model uh, and thinking about not talking about pilots, thinking about how do we just start to shift or move the needle from left to right. And that's really what we've seen our customers uh, be able to, to actually do in scale, frankly. That's really where the learnings have been. Um, well, I guess to start, I'd just like to put in a good word for Pilotville. It seems like everybody is super impatient to escape from Pilotville, but as a technologist, you know, it's a necessary step on the journey, and I guess the important aspect of Pilotville is not escaping as fast as you can, but learning as much as you can and applying uh, the learning. And I think you saw it a little bit in the previous talk, but I think one of the things that we've learned in conducting the studies that we've done virtually um, is the orchestration across these different organizational, different uh, organizational elements that come together to form the ecosystem within which a trial happens. Uh, that coordination is really important. So the site staff, the mobile nursing, the investigators. Within the sponsor, there's numerous different organizational elements. And I think um, uh, pulling those together and kind of developing a single narrative for what success means across all of those different organizational units is one of the things that we've learned and it actually uh, is a way to get out of pilot villas to have buy-in and success all the way down to the procurement groups within the large uh, sponsor organizations may not be aligned with what's a win uh, for the study teams and if you're um, uh, solutioning a study all of the participants eventually go through uh, all of the vendors involved eventually go through procurement and so so that's that's just one note that all the organizational aspects are so so critical so to to tag on what Chris just mentioned I think it's good that we're in Pilotville for virtual remote trials we were not in Pilotville three years ago it was just a concept and we're officially in Pilotville. I think we'll stay there for some time as we uh, continue to experiment. But one thing to, to mention about virtual trials, it's not just one thing. It's the difference between when you think of e-consent or e-pro or, or any of these single, single node technologies, they're really focused on one thing, like data collection or enrolling patients or consenting patients. Virtual trials, across the entire spectrum, from recruiting patients all the way to database lock. So it's multiple things that need to happen in order to get a successful remote virtual, even a hybrid trial. 
so to get out of Pilotville, eventually, I think we need to be good at these individual components, get those out of Pilotville first, and then we'll figure out how to connect all of these together. The good thing about where we are today is there are technology vendors that are thinking about the entire approach. It's not just ePro, or it's not just e-consent, but we're thinking about the entire approach, and this is now giving us a connected ecosystem that helps us uh, think about these trials differently. Um, the other thing that I did want to mention is there's probably 150 people in this room and there's probably 150 different definitions of what a virtual remote trial is in your mind. Uh, one thing that will be important for us to get out of Pilotville is to understand when we say virtual trial or remote trial, what do we mean exactly? Is it just if you use a digital tool, then that's a virtual trial? Because a lot of people use, hey, I did a virtual trial. When you dig into the details, they just did EPRO, but they're calling it virtual trial. Um, so define what we mean by this term. Eliminate the term sightless trial, and I'm happy that you're here, Casey, with us, because sightless implies that sites are not involved, and this is farthest from the truth. And every time I have an opportunity to come and talk, I have to mention that. Uh, that becomes a barrier in and of itself. When you say sightless, 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 the sites are not engaged, therefore the sites are not included, therefore it fails. So try to understand the different definitions, agree on what it means, and hopefully the different consortia that are engaged today will start uh, attacking this topic and, and put some definitions around, and that will help us understand what we mean when we talk about these terms. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, the, the verbiage that we use has to be consistent or it, it causes confusion. With sites in particular, they hear about a siteless trial, and, and as an organization of SCRS, we're like, whoa, hold up. Uh, we're talking about a sightless trial. No, that, that's sites continue to play a pivotal part, and you have to continue having that relationship between the PI, the coordinator, and the patient. So what we talk about is when we move and success to, uh, to the sites mean that we're doing a decentralized, instead of going in 10, if the, if the protocol requires 10 visits, perhaps three or four of those could be uh, a mobile visit or on your phone. So it's, it's about lessening the burden for, for our patients. And when you say success for sites, it means that instead of a 30 mile radius from the physical site, we're now able to extend that to two hours, you know, a 120 mile radius. Um, it's able to get medicine to patients the quickest way possible in the shortest amount of time to most patients. And that's what it boils down to. And that's when, when we talk about success and sites want to participate, but do they know what it means? Oh yeah, I want, we, we're doing a, we did a big, um, survey that we'll be presenting at, at our summit in a few weeks. And a lot of the questions around decentralized virtual studies, and it's very apparent that there's different, that means different things to different people. So sites are saying, yes, I absolutely want to be a part of this. Oh really, what does that mean to you? And there's 50,000 different things that that means. So I think it's getting all on the same page and then saying, how does that affect sites? And ultimately, how does that affect patients that we all need to enroll in these studies? And sites play a crucial part. No, that's really fantastic to hear. And just to share my point of view, my, my absolute utopia is two things. And the first is equitable access to healthcare. The second is research as a care option. That's it. How we do it is through the tools, the tactics, the solutions. I think if we have that clear vision and develop a strategy that leads us to that vision, it will happen. Or it might not happen. Think about it. You know, we could go down Pilotville and actually realize that that's not the route to take. There is another path. 
Maybe it's similar, maybe it's different, but we will evolve as we have that clear end in sight. So to switch gears a little bit, we've kind of gone into the future, we've looked at that movie set. I want to take us to like blood and gore to think about. This is going to get interesting. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We're going down the sort of Game of of Thrones era (laughs) of movies. And we want to talk a little bit about barriers. What is it that prevents us from moving forward? You know, is it people? Is it cost? Is it, you know, what are the trade-offs, really? What are the challenges that we face? You know, this is that dark movie set, right, that we now need to think about. How do we look at, really objectively look at those barriers and then hopefully try and come out of it? So if we want to start again at the end. Sure, I'll I'll go last next time, so (laughs) So I love to piggyback off folks, but um, uh, so I'm going to talk, this is sort of obvious, but I think it bears repeating. Um, Carrie was up here talking about that scratch measure, and you heard all the detail that went into building that. Hassan just talked to us about how many different pieces there are to, to running like a fully virtual trial and how you could do just one piece or maybe you get all the pieces correct before you go on to do a, a full one. Um, and I think you're looking at a suite of people here who could all conceivably be uh, in, engaged in running one trial, right? Because all these different expertises here. Um, and so every single one of these expertises comes with all those steps and all the challenges that can come. So this is like a multi-layered situation. Uh, so to pick one barrier or two is, is a little bit rough. (laughs) But um, I think, so I want to say that the challenge is not the collaboration itself. The challenge is that when you're collaborating to run even one piece of a virtual trial, you might have seven or eight layers of of different vendors and groups who have to talk to each other. And among other things, there's, uh, if, if you are, for example, a small tech company who's working with a, a much larger pharma company, um, you know, there's this qualification that has to happen and things like that. And so it's kind of, uh, it, it's rare for the um, totally mobile, uh, worldwide, 20-person uh, small tech company to have enterprise data security, right? And so um, you, you end up in situations where you have to figure out how companies of different sizes can do everything they need to do, protect the patient data, make sure all the tools work correctly, but how each person in the group that's working together can work to sort of meet each other partner where they are. Um, because you know what's great about the small companies is they're incredibly agile, uh, but sometimes that agility like rubs right up against a larger company that has sort of these more rigid requirements for uh, folks to meet things like IT capacity, et cetera. That's a long list. I'm going to go with perception. That's going to be the word I'm going to pick. Um, and perception of that no one's done this before, these questions haven't been answered, you can't do that in Germany, right? Like all the questions that we all get. And when you actually sit down and break the answers down, um, there actually are answers and there are risks. So uh, to steal what Hassan was showing earlier when he's walking through the the risks and the questions, um, nobody in this room is the first person to think of these things. And I think, you know, the reality is, is we have to take a very measured approach 
to putting in decentralized approaches, right? Which means when we come in and we say in this protocol, visit two, four, and six can be virtual and they'll include these things and here's why, here are the risks and here's the backup plan, right? So it, it's not as if that magically just makes the study fix and work perfectly. It means that there's layers of plans that we have to, just like we do in our studies today. So I think from, from our perspective, it's, um, there's the perception on the, you know, the sponsor side or the CRO side uh, but really, the one I want to focus on is the site side. So we've, you know, last three years, just going to tons of investigator meetings and spending time at sites and key opinion leaders and simulations. What's astounding to me is, is when we come in and we sort of do a quick poll and we say, you know, hey, sites, what, what do you think this thing is? And, and we get like, oh, I think it does my kid's homework and is magically trying to replace me. And, you know, one guy actually said it was a, a, a holographic model of him in their home. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he was for real. Like, he really thought that's what these tech did. And, you're like, and when you explain them, no, I'm not changing the what you're doing. I'm changing the how you're doing it. And you show them, it's you click this button and then telehealth starts and here's the two-way interface. They kind of go, oh, that's what it is? And so I think that really the, the hurdle that we have to really overcome today um, is educational, right? It's, this, it's education of sort of where the guardrails are and how to use things, where that fit-for-purpose use is. And so I'll tell you that I, I think that's the biggest barrier that we're dealing with today, and we're on a tear to do it, but it's going to take time and work and a lot of us really spending time to make it happen. <laughs> I think that's right. I think um, the point that John made about protocol design is an important one, right? So just as an example, uh, protocol design often doesn't take into account many aspects of decentralization, and so then you're, you're retrofitting as you get into solutioning the study, or you'll take studies that have been attempted in other models and then try to modify them to run them and operate them uh, decentralization. And then also to build on John's point, it's psychology of, of change management, right? So the implications about what we're doing, it really impacts uh, patients who are used to seeing a doctor in person, uh, and, um, and moving that to telemedicine creates a whole other context for that interaction. And so, I, you know, I think our assessment is we're at kind of an appropriate set uh, stage in terms of the maturity of our industry and the maturity of the tooling things like that for adoption to happen, and we're certainly encouraged by the types of, in, the, by the level of interest that we see in patients and in um, sponsors and in running studies this way, and the, the barriers that we run into stem from just not having done it before. And so as we kind of move on, I tend to just be sort of a pragmatist as we put facts on the ground and as we uh, run studies in this model, uh, all of those barriers tend to, tend to take care of themselves. So there's a lot of barriers. A lot of people here know what these barriers are. I mentioned some of them in my, my talk. One thing that I will say um, in terms of barriers is we are an industry that doesn't provide options when we think of clinical trials. If you think about all the other industries that you as consumers deal with, you have several options. You, go to, you can bank online, you can go to, the, to the, the bank itself, you can take a picture of your check and you forget about it. There's these different options that are all valid. Same thing with the airline industry. You can check in at the check-in counter, counter, you can check in using your mobile app. You can, there's several ways. You can print at home and bring it uh, in the airport and check in there. All of these are valid. In the clinical trial side, we either do it this way or that way. 
We don't do it both. So I think it'll take a bit of a maturity for all of these concepts to come uh, to a level where we start accepting providing options for the patients. When we think of hybrid, even now when we think of hybrid, we say study, visit two, visit five, and visit eight will be done remotely. Everything else is done in person, and that's the only way we'll run the trial. If you miss this way, then you probably it's not valid. We need to uh, do a, a, a deviation. If we start thinking about we'll provide for every visit, we'll provide the option for the patient to come in-house or to do it from home because both are valid. They can consent from home or they can consent at the clinic or they can print it and sign it at home and bring it back. All of these are valid options. Then we'll, we'll break that big barrier which becomes we design the trial and we design it for just one way and if we deviate then we consider it not to work. Uh, I think this is one of the barriers that, that we need to think about. No, that's, uh, we have a perfect example of that of a site um, where it was written in the protocol that it had to be a, a virtual visit on certain, um, certain visits. And really it's just, it's the same problem you have as, as making, making the, the patient come to the site because you're not giving them an option. So they may no, not want you to come into their home to do a visit. They may be on the next issue of, of hoarders, you know, where they don't want you in their home at all. So by saying, yes, this visit is going to be a home visit, it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the fact that that's not going to work for that patient. So we got to go back to patient burden and what's best for the patients. I do think on, on John's um, comment too on the perception. So as sites, think about it. We all, we all don't want to feel threatened. We all don't want to feel like what, we're, what we've done and what we've done for years past uh, is going away. Right, and so when we hear a lot about sightless and going back to that, it, from the from the coordinators and the site directors and the principal investigators and, and everybody at that site level, if they feel threatened, then they're going to put that guard up and they're going to say, "Nope, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do this." But if they look at it as an opportunity, as an opportunity, to really spread a lot of their their again their their geographical reach to patients. They look at it as opportunity of of those that are, are working and can't physically come into the office multiple times throughout the study then it's how it's, it's how it's perceived. So it's the perception from the site. So if we can, and, and that's why I feel as SCRS, if we can get a, a good, grasp on the, good grasp on this and say, hey, this is what it looks like, guys. This is a wonderful opportunity for sites out there to really expand what you're able to do to get medicine to your, to your communities in a much quicker way, then we can um, kind of bypass that. No, this is, this is excellent and really does touch on, you know, the same kind of themes that we all face and experience. And I think for me, just to say real quick, it's, it's all about the nuts and bolts of it. You know, if we don't have processes, SOPs and strong frameworks and change management, it will fail. You know, everything else that we do has that. So we have to almost kind of cushion this new concept, which I think the difficulty we have is because it involves patients and the needs of patients, which is hard to really structure and to put some kind of scientific merit to, which is the truth. You know, I'm going Game of Thrones here. We consider that like a softer science, but it isn't because the more structure we put around it and the more we can create benchmarking and link those metrics to what matters, which is the bottom line, then people pay attention. So you're right, we do need to have consistency in how we define it, how we measure it, and what's important. And at that point, I think, as an industry, we will start to see shifts forward. So to wrap up the questions before we ask you lovely folks what you think, I'd start from here. And really quickly, in about a minute, okay, we want to just flip it over. Instead of looking at barriers, we now want to look at success. 
what needs to be in place for success to happen? So if you think about it, there's no food in our tummies now. That's why hunger is happening, right? <laughs> so what do we need to make sure is existing in organizations in the ecosystem for success to happen? What do you need to consider? I think from the site side, the sites need to feel like they're part of this equation, right? And, and that's the, the whole purpose that SCRS was formed is, is to be the site voice. So, so many times before you'd have sponsors and CROs and service providers saying, hey, we've got a grand idea, we're going to do this and that and that. By the way, oh, sites, yes, we're going to need you and we're going to need the patients. And it's kind of an afterthought. So I think having the sites involved in these early discussions, having them involved in, in different pilots and really really asking them, will this work at your site? And getting their feedback. There's a lot of sites out there. Most sites, if you called them up, would say, and, and if you said, hey, can you read through this protocol? Here's what we're thinking about doing. They would jump up and down to be able to help. But as sponsors and CROs, I don't know if we reach out to the site. So I think part of the success is that sites need to feel that they are being listened to and that, that they're being um, asked their opinions on because it can, they, they are the link to the, to the patients. And without patients, none of us in this room have, have a, a success, you know, have a, have a future. So that would be my number one thing. So for me, success looks like, um, I, you mentioned we want to go out of Pilotville. I think we'll be in Pilotville for a while uh, for virtual trials. Success looks like having a strategy, dedicated strategy in our clinical trial portfolio to think about for every trial, can we do it remotely or can we not? Um, and enable teams with a, an approach and methodology and that's interesting. I'm talking about success, but I'll talk about failure. Enable teams to fail, mm. to safe, to safely fail, um, because without jail failing, card. <laughs> without failing safely, you won't have success. We can't just imagine a, a, a way to just get immediately into success. I think it will require several failures, hopefully not life-threatening failures for patients, but failures where we've invested a lot of time, a lot of money, and we didn't get the outcome, but we learned a lot and we'll adjust what, we, what we've done. So it's not about ROI, not yet, but um, it's about ROE, return on education. Um, I think it relates to persistence to me. You know, I think in, uh, uh, you think of adoption of new models of doing things, they tend to kind of get hyped and, and everybody gets very excited about it and then it moves into this sort of, uh, Gardner has a way of discussing it as a trough of disillusionment. And that trough of disillusionment is like a necessary part of the process. You have to kind of m navigate your way through it and then you get into where real impactful adoption of new models happens. And if you think about a clinical study, the, the, um, the, the, the processes that we're changing and the impact that they have on so many important stakeholders, it's so vast. So then kind of keeping a perspective that this is an ongoing process, that there's going to be frustrations and failures that we're going to... Uh, to have to learn from, and then out of that will come the blueprints and the SOPs will evolve, the protocol development will evolve to include it on the uh, uh, technology and services side. Those patterns uh, will evolve and be more applicable, but in the, in the stage that we're in now, it takes a lot of creative thinking and a lot of innovative thinking, and so just to sort of acknowledge that that's the stage that we're in, it's totally appropriate, and then we'll just work to get more uh, definable patterns and, and make it easier to do, to do these studies. Yeah, I think what we're striving for is that this is a standard option 
for studies, right? And like Hassan mentioned, you know, I think we're going to get better at choose your own adventure novels, but we're not there yet, right? Right now, we're just trying to get people to use mobile phones and telehealth effectively, and our crawl, walk, run is, is getting there. But I think, you know, what we're all trying to strive for is to have a better feature option in studies that modernizes how we do them, right? And so that's really where I think we're striving. The measures of success, I'll tell you, we thought we knew what we were doing. You know, we did those first studies with Apple. We had all these KPIs, and we thought, these KPIs are amazing. And then we went out there and measured them and said, these KPIs are terrible because what they didn't do is they didn't take into account all the stakeholders. And so what we've been learning a very sort of deep lesson on is, is that there's, you know, sponsor customer KPIs, which I think all of us can define right now. And participant KPIs, like patient ones, I feel like we had a good sense of those. We really didn't do a good job on the site KPIs. And so we've actually been putting in KPIs and scorecards with sites for them to say, I like this, I need to learn more about that. And so I think for us, the measures of success are not the long list of KPIs. It's actually using those for us to optimize how the standard approach works. And that's what's really exciting about where we are today in the industry, because this is happening, and it, it may be not at what everybody defines as scale, but there's enough people doing this that we have enough KPIs to matter. And that's different than when we were having this conversation three years ago here, which is good. John, you know why you didn't do the site KPIs? Because we were calling it sightless. <laughs> <laughs> There's no truth to that. You know, once we did that hybrid and everybody went, oh. Uh, and, and then sites were, I'm all, I'm all in, right? Exactly, right? So you remove that term and you start thinking about sites. Yeah, well, we never had it, but that's okay. <laughs> so I, I was definitely thinking of this as sort of a tool for success uh, question. And so my, my thought around this is really to have a stakeholder map. Uh, that can be sort of a... a a thing in your head, or it can, you know, be whiteboarding one day, um, where you talk about every single stakeholder and what they actually need out of this process. And uh, I bring this up because we uh, was was working on a project once where we were trying to bring a digital tool, um, you know, to a clinic, and we we thought about a bunch of things. We thought about the site coordinator. We thought about the uh, regulatory impact. We thought about you know distribution, etc. But we didn't actually think about the clinicians who would be interfacing directly with the patients who would be using it and how they understood it. So this was a stakeholder we'd completely left out of the equation and it made it very, very hard for us to deploy um, because they weren't engaged and they weren't excited and so they couldn't get their patients on board. So I think if you, if you start from knowing what everyone needs um, and understanding that that's gonna be very diverse, um, you, you look at, at the end of your, uh, your journey and see if you've met all those needs or where you fell down and, and how to pick up again and then you can be very good at working through this process with all these diverse stakeholders. No, thank you so much. I will summarize my point of view in like a word, basically, because the truth is we're all highly skilled, highly educated. We've all got a nice dose of common sense. And all we need to do is just be brave. That's it. Just be brave. And I think it, we will get there. So that's what I think is needed for success. So I'd like to open up for questions or feedback from the audience. Just for a little ray of hope, we are uh, currently running multiple phase three registrational drug trials in a mobile environment today. So we have sponsors out there that are full of vision, full of courage, that have adopted this and are breaking that paradigm. Uh, I'm hoping by this time next year we will have results to share, but, but I'm thrilled that there are companies out there. That are, and most of them are biotech, but we have uh, one pharma partner that clearly has adopted this. So there's lots of hope out there. I do think on the um, 
I talk to C-suite folks all the time that think this is amazing. And then you get to project teams and they just can't get there. So I would, I would encourage everybody in your companies to push it down to the project teams to give them that ability to incorporate virtual, hybrid, whatever into your trial designs, because I think that's the critical piece. Um, we recently had a client where we offered to save them $10 million by virtualizing some of their visits, and the project team said no. That, to me, is not giving shareholder value, stakeholder value, anything. But you know why? because the trial was already baked and they're pretty comfortable doing it the way they've always done it, right? We've got to help those project teams at the mid-level be also courageous to move out of that paradigm. I think something along those lines too is... To inflect the voice up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Another sign of, of hope too is that as, as SCRS, we are being invited into big pharma companies to say, you know, perhaps we haven't thought of the site or the principal investigator or the sub-investigator or the coordinator or site director. Uh, so what do we need to think about that we haven't in the past? And, and these are big pharma that, that we're being invited in just to give the voice of the site. So that's, they're brave. Yeah, and I'm, again, I'm not sure the question, but what I would say is that the piece that's important that was mentioned is that this, this work is really hard. Like anybody who thinks this work is easy or tells you this work is easy has not done it. And I love to meet with them because they must have better ideas than we do. It's really hard to do. Um, and, and they're stacked lessons learned on top of other people. So companies that have been, we are working with are coming together saying, hey, how did you guys do this? I think that's important and a piece that's really coming in this space too. Yeah, another question over there. Hi. Um, so Graham Wiley from the MRN. So a question. Um, as you look at your stakeholders, are the major barriers in pharma or out? How Game of Thrones is this going to be? I think we should go really dark. <laughs> really dark and really bloody red wedding. <laughs> okay, um, I'll, I'll start. I think, I think it's both personally. You know, I've, I've seen different types of barriers within pharma with the appetite for change, the, the trade-offs, the prioritization, um, and of, of course the, the study team not wanting retrofitting, which we try to avoid. And then on the vendor side, I think the, the issues are lack of consistency and approach. So it's, it's important, I think, that we start to standardize. Everyone's got their strengths. We don't need to compete on that, or they don't need to compete on that. But I think the most important thing is that education piece is further complicated when you've got so much variety to look at. It gets really confusing. So that piece is a, is a challenge for new teams and new companies that are starting to go into this. That's my view. It's, uh, I would say it's 360, and it kind of depends on which side of the fence you're standing on, <laughs> uh, you know, from, from one moment to the next. But uh, the more we can do around common communication and standardization means everybody's communicating. And so you start to feel a little bit less like on your side of the fence, you have to like shout and bring forward your, your Game of Thrones army with the spears in order to, to make people see your point. Um, so I, I, I absolutely second the, the standards and communication. So I'll be courageous and say it's in pharma. I think the, because pharma is holding the dollars, holding the money, and I think we have a stake in this. We, we need to start thinking about pharma not just being 
and it's true, it is a, a place where we develop medicines, but we need to start thinking about digital being part of our DNA, and I don't think it is at this point. We can claim all we want that it is. I don't think it has completely permeated our DNA to start thinking about ways to do things digitally, really do them digitally. Uh, I think the biggest par barrier today, there are others, but the biggest one I really believe is in pharma, will require a lot of culture change, will require a lot of bravery and, and courage to break these invisible walls. But I don't think uh, the other barriers for other stakeholders are, are not as big as what we have inside pharma. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. For information on the upcoming 2020 event, visit theconferenceforum.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.